0: Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Katie and Stephanie. Once there was a dying mother who gave to her daughter, Vasilisa, a doll to guide her through her life. After she died, her father eventually remarried and the Stepfam family did not like Vasilisa. Vasilisa. And once uh, an evil thought enters your mind and and settles and grows, that can lead to a lot of dark things. And that led to this stepmother and her daughters trying to kill Vasilisa on multiple occasions. Um, But each time they tried, the doll that Vasilisa inherited from her mother came to life and helped her to overcome their malevolence. The final attempt was to send Vasilisa to get fire from the witch, known as Baba Yaga. And the stepmother had intentionally put out the fire so that Vasilisa would have to go and do this impossible thing and hidden an ember in the woods so that they would still have fire when Vasilisa left and hopefully died and never came back. Vasilisa went on a sojourn as a girl through the forest to find this Baba Yaga. She did not know what to expect. She stumbled around and she told her, the mother told her there was an odd house. She asked some people that she met and they said it was the house on the chicken legs in the woods. So Vasilisa found um, some, saw some fire and as she walked up she saw that there was fire um, in human skulls that were lighting as um, lamps along the way on a path to this house. So she goes to the house because obviously this house has fire and knocks on the door, and the door's opened by Baba Yaga. And Baba Yaga was a very terrible creature to behold. She was an old woman who had a big nose and warts and frizzly, wild hair and wild eyes and looked at her in kind of a vicious way. And the girl said, I've, I've been sent here to get fire. Can I get fire from you? I will do what I need to do to get fire. And Baba Yaga says, if you will complete seven tasks for me, then I will give you fire. And if not, then I will eat you up. So Vasilisa says, very afraid, of course. Okay, what are these tasks? And um, Baba Yaga says, I will give you one tomorrow. So she sleeps there and the next day she wakes up and is given a seemingly impossible task. And I won't go through all the tasks, but... Um, There are seven of them, and some examples would be she was supposed to gather up every poppy seed of a bag of poppy seeds that Baba Yaga threw in the dust. And she was supposed to separate spoiled corn from good corn um, in this very large bag all within the time of a day. And every time Baba Yaga would give her these tasks, she would go out into the woods to do who knows what, and um, Vasilisa's doll would spring into life and tell her, what to do or how to complete the task. and it would call in all sorts of forces to help her to get the task done, whether it was the birds or helping her in some way so she could finish the tasks. And every time, Vasilisa didn't know how she was going to do it, and every time she did. Baba Yaga eventually gave in, incredibly frustrated, and threw one of the skulls, um, the skull lamps, on a stick into her hand and said, here's your fire, go. So Vasilisa escapes the witch and um, uses the skull to guide herself back home. Um, When she returned to her evil stepfamily, the skull all of a sudden burned incredibly bright and killed her stepmother and stepsisters. Mm. Um, The story, of course, seems very dark when you first hear it, right? That's classic, like, Russian or Germanic <laughs> old fairy tales. Very grim a Very fairy tale. Exactly, <laughs> very grim. Um, but the beautiful thing, I think, about stuff like this is if you're able to look a little bit deeper, there's a book, that one of the books that tells the story, and I love this book. It's called Women Who Run With the Wolves. And if you've not read it, please run. <laughs> with run with any wolves <laughs> or whatever you need to run with to get the book. <laughs> Because it's a beautiful, beautiful book, especially the audiobook, because she's just got a magnificent voice. And this is one of the stories she uses to um, help women kind of embrace a little bit of our wild. And that's kind of what I'd like to talk about today. Is, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. the wild and the wild of birth. So um, this story, while on the outside seeming really dark, if you take a step back, is supposed to be a story about a woman's intuition about the journey that a woman goes through to find and connect with her intuition. Um, the story is supposed to, in all of its components, is supposed to represent the woman's psyche. So even the stepmother and Baba Yaga themselves are a part of a woman's psyche. Um, the, so in the story, Woman with the Wolves, she says that there are nine, nine rites in the book that she undertook, undertook to restore her wild power. Those rites are allowing the too-good mother to die, exposing the crude shadow, navigating in the dark, facing the wild hag, serving the non-rational, separating this from that, asking the mysteries, standing on all fours, and recasting the shadow.
1: So you're saying this is the author's summation of the things that in her personal life she did to help her reclaim her power?
0: No, these are the nine things, the rights that Vasilisa in the story uh-huh. underwent okay. in order to reclaim her power. And that any, gotcha. any woman
1: needs but to like go a, through. it's like a template for all of us. Yes. Okay. And some of us may have
0: less of one and more of the other, of course, because we're all individual, wonderful humans. But it's beautiful. We can kind of draw on this symbolic journey to help us understand that we're not alone when we have to face these things and i think some of these when i these are things i have not known very long that were standing between me and my intuition and were things i would potentially need to face and that's i think why birth was so cool for me because it put me into these situations without me having to have a name for it yeah right yeah it, it kind of helped me to connect with my intuition without me um with another goal in mind but mm-hmm. as like a byproduct yeah, I connected more with my intuition. Okay, so I'm going to go through them a little bit and um, I'll focus more on some of the other. So allowing the too good mother to die. Um, I think a lot of us received a lot of messages about what it means to be a mother, about what it means to have a good birth, about what it means to be good as a woman. And um, when you have this idea of what an ideal is or what you should be, that can often lead to pain if you are not that thing and if you have this idea that women are that mothers are somehow perfect if your mother you, you saw her as this perfect being or that she was always patient or always this and you become a mother you become pregnant and maybe you're not as joyful as you thought should be maybe the first trimester is one of struggle because you're trying to connect with this pregnancy or it was unexpected or for whatever reason it's just difficult to connect that we always say that, ha, turn to this not good enough place. Like mm-hmm. it's not the situation, it's it's me. Mm-hmm. So for me, allowing the too good mother to die is allowing those images of the ideal to, to just to let them go, to let them die. Wow. And to allow ourselves to say, okay, I'm doing my best in where I am. And what does it mean for me to be a good enough mother? This right. is what I'm doing is good enough. And I'm not saying that that's allowing us to not take responsibility for things and to not try our best to grow. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we should not judge ourselves
1: by unrealistic bars. Mm -hmm. You were saying that in mythology, it's common that all of the different characters actually represent our own psyche, right? Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking a lot about um, internal family systems. Have you heard Mm -hmm. of this? Yeah. And especially now that you're talking about the mother, because I'm thinking how much our mother's voices in our childhood becomes, in a way, like our good girl voice that's in our head forever. So it's like long after we're out of the home, our mother is still mothering us through the voice in our head, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's pretty powerful, to acknowledge that that voice at some point needs to die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm kind of laughing at how, like, simple and brilliant that is because Mm -hmm. I think I... and Well, I I just think there's a lot of parallels to the actual relationship that we have with our real mother, if Mm -hmm. you do have that relationship. And um, for me, there was a lot of codependency. There was a lot of me wanting to please my mother and to... I wanted my mother to be proud of me. I wanted Mm -hmm. her to... Um, always feel like she accomplished what she set out in raising a wonderful daughter. Right. Mm-hmm. And so powerful that even into adulthood, I allowed that voice to continue to dictate to me. But like you're saying, Katie, almost every myth or fairy tale and a lot of good books start with an orphan where it's mm-hmm. like they lose that voice. Um, but, it's always replaced with something else, isn't it? Instead Mm -hmm. of it being this outside voice, an external voice, what is the gift that the mother gave to Mm. to Vasilisa? Yes. Right? And I'm sure we're going to get there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I'm absolutely loving this. Yeah. So I think that's, that is for me, like of itself, it was just like, that's beautiful.
0: that first you think, oh, this is this tragedy, but you need to allow the too good mother to die. You need to right. allow her to go and not hold on to the sorrow and not keep that. You, know, you still remember her fondly, of course, but you can allow the too good mother to die. The next one is um, exposing the crude shadow. And the crude shadow, I think, is in this case a representation of the lostness we can feel after we allow the too good mother to die. Okay, That there's often a time um, where we're kind of left with this empty and the question is with what we're going to fill it. And... Um, when
1: does that happen in the myth that you told us?
0: In the myth that we told us, exposing the crude shadow is...
1: Is it when she goes into the woods? It's when she's
0: about to... She's going into the woods, but she's not sure what she's looking for. Uh, and she's asking for advice. Yeah. And she's trying to figure out this place she's like, to go. Like, where
1: do I even go? Yeah. What's my it's purpose? Like, supposedly, I'm supposed to
0: go get this fire. Okay. But I don't know what that means. So who, who's Baba Yaga? Where does her, where's her forest? Where's her house? So we know they have this destination in mind, but what is it? So exposing the shadow is kind of, we're we starting to try and feel out. And a lot of times this this phase comes with a lot of big ebbs and flows where if you let go of the too good mother, you'll sometimes swing in other directions, right? But you're trying to expose like what is, what is next or what is this thing I'm up against or what do I want to do now? Um... And that can often happen if we let go of kind of our ideal birth or our ideal mothering, that it can be like kind of disorienting hmm. to say, okay, I don't want to be this ideal anymore. That's impossible. Right. <laughs> and, But that, what does that mean now? So, what's my, do I want to make a new ideal? Or do I want to, what does that, what does it mean? You know do I, what I mean? want that to float of,
1: aimlessly? Do mm-hmm. I, yeah. So you be start tricky. to,
0: is, that's the kind of the lostness. And the next is navigating in the dark. So when we're in the dark, you start to learn to say, okay, what do I want to base my new expectation on? Where, how do I, what can I trust? And I think it's in that darkness that we start to sort of even realize that going inside is a thing, is an option. Hmm. That we have that moment of lostness that can make us realize, oh, actually I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> Funny and, that we can be found Yeah, in the lostness. Mm-hmm. And no, I think yeah. that's, we talked about both of our first births feeling very lost and even in the, the aftermath of the first birth, which can, this can also be a beautiful and difficult post-trauma journey Journey that we could talk about how each of these steps could be related to post-trauma, but um, post-loss also Mm -hmm. but navigating in the dark often means we feel very base we it's more of the like the baselessness like we hit that that point of like okay um what am I going to rely on and in the full darkness is often when we finally can can let go of some things and and release and realize okay this is this is really hard and there's no really nowhere to go but up like where and when the darker gets we start to see the little beads of light we start to hear our own voice because it gets very quiet in the dark Hmm. so navigating in the dark it means often like our eyes are often related to our intellect right? the eyes, we, we trust very much the things that are solid in this world, what we can see right. but when it becomes dark, that is gone and suddenly we have to use our ears suddenly we have to use our sense of smell, suddenly we have to use our fingers, we have to rely on different senses, different gifts and in this case also our intuition
1: and, and I dare say our emotions yes and, and how we're actually feeling in that mm-hmm. moment
0: mm-hmm. and the intuition what if it gets really quiet, can I, I'll have a lot of times clients will ask me, I, I feel really confused about, about what to do now. I feel like I've got all this information, but I don't know what to do. And I'll ask them, have you cut out all distractions and sat with yourself over it for a minute and not logically weighed anymore, but seen if you could in the quiet connect with your gut. And a lot of times people are like, Oh, that's great advice. i like, <laughs> I didn't even think about giving myself a second to be quiet
1: And see if I had just just a a thing that felt right. And I think this is why darkness does that for us. Because in the light, we are so swept up by the external world and the things that we think we see and think we know. But when Mm -hmm. the lights go out and you lose touch with all of those external realities, you really are kind of impelled to turn inward. It's the only tangible thing left. (laughs) And so it sends us probing inward. Mm -hmm. And, um, sometimes we do have to have that stark cut off from the the external to do that.
0: Yes. And that's not to be confused with, see, I feel like in our world, a lot of times people will do the first do something hard will happen. Something will die. Maybe it's the good mother, which is something we have to allow to die. Maybe it's a baby will die or Um, a relationship will die or something will die that's hard. And we feel that lost. And in our modern world, a lot of people, instead of going into the darkness, instead of allowing himself to sit in the difficulty, to sit in the hard, to sit in the dark, we distract ourselves with things, which is the opposite, right? That'll put you right back at square one. You'll just keep circulating. You'll Mm -hmm. just, you'll keep having to, you're not exposing the crude shadow. You're hiding from the crude shadow.
1: Oh, I like that. (laughs)
0: Um, so that's no reminder that a lot of times we'll try and placate ourselves, yeah. but this, this shows us that we're never going to get through to the other side. We're never going to connect with that wild feminine power unless we are able to also navigate in the dark. After navigating in the dark comes facing the wild hag.
1: Oh yes. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> And more. this is
0: one of my, this is kind of my main point I'm trying to get at today is that in our society, we're kind of told that we're supposed to be something pretty and nice Mm -hmm. We're kind of told something light and something not heavy, Mm -hmm. something convenient. And we shouldn't never be an inconvenience. That's just the worst thing you could be as a woman is an Mm -hmm. inconvenience to anybody in any way. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of times through that, we, we suppress our wild hag. We, we think that being, being ugly, like ugly crying, sometimes ugly crying can be the most beautiful thing in the world. Like really allowing yourself to fully, feel the difficult emotion and just ugly cry even to Mm -hmm. someone someone close to you can be very freeing and beautiful but we are somehow implanted with this guilt Mm -hmm. and with this with a self-consciousness around our dirty messy wild yeah and we've been tamed is is the easy way the quick way to say it i think is that we've been tamed into trying to be something and that's a, this book, like, please go read it, that she talks about. That's why it's called Women Who Run With the Wolves," is because she. it's a big invitation to kind of connect with that wild that is inherently a part of each of us. And most of us, we've caged it. We've put it far down and we're very ashamed whenever we a howl comes out or whenever anything yeah, appears. Like
1: I'm really seeing the labor context here where so many of our clients, Katie, you will know, we'll sit down and say, what are some of your biggest fears? I don't want to be too loud. I don't want to poop in the water. Yeah. Like you might be surprised, those of you that are listening, to know that that's sometimes the biggest fears that our clients are facing is I don't know how to be wild and untamed in front of people. Maybe not even privately. But the thought of having a public display of their untamed um, birth experience is more than they can handle. And that's a lot of the work that we do as doulas, I believe, is, is giving permission and restoring and reclaiming this mm-hmm. ugly hag part of what it means to be a woman.
0: Yes. I love that. That's exactly where I was going. Great. Is that I think that I'll have women where I meet them and they are very, very tame mm-hmm. and they want to look put together.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: a very important part of their life. Yeah. It's something they put a lot of time into. Right. Is looking put together in their, the way they appear in the way their home appears, yeah. in the way their relationship appears, in the way their children appear, in the, their, in the way their parenting appears. They spend a lot of time and money trying to look very put together. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't try and have a, a beautiful home or anything, mm-hmm. uh, have things around you that make you feel good. But if a lot of that is, is connected to this need to look so tame. I'm not tame, but... The and blocks. sometimes
1: I think control is a good word that comes into here. Mm-hmm. It's like we associate being well put together and having everything where we want it and looking the way that we want as a sense of control. And so to imagine ourselves in the context of not being in control, we don't we, we don't even know what that would look like. and And how would we navigate that? What does life look like when we are not in control of it? Well, mm-hmm. birth is the expedited process of figuring that out, mm-hmm. which I, is why I think some people are traumatized by that. And there's, and I don't mean to oversimplify trauma because I think that trauma can come at you from so many different angles. And so I'm only speaking to just one variety here. But I know, and I'm speaking really for myself, that my birth trauma was very much associated with my inability to see myself. I did not want to see her mm. and uh, birth birth shows it to you.
0: Yes. 100%. That's a lot of people are not prepared for that aspect of birth. They'll prepare a lot with the, the hospital policies. Yeah. They'll prepare a lot with, um, like their affirmations or the environment, a lot of information, a lot of informational. They'll, they'll pick it. They'll pick a, a dirt doula. They'll take their partner with them to a class. But I, I rarely hear a class that really sits you down and says, Hey friend, this is a wild experience.
1: Mm-hmm. You're going to
0: tap into your mammalian brain.
1: Yeah.
0: You're going to tap into the wild side of you.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: honestly, I think that is really something that's pretty missing from, from the childbirth education side, because it's something a lot of them feel, feel blindsided by like, Oh, I thought I was just going to be so peaceful. And then I ended up roaring and yelling. It's like, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how beautiful I think loud births are. Mm-hmm where women allow themselves to not hold back and let out whatever noise and whatever movement from whatever side of the body, from whatever right? side of the body in whatever <laughs> on- wonky position, like mm-hmm. who cares what position you get. in? if your body says to go there, go there. There's a reason mm. but some women will just, uh, I so often at birth will tell them if you maybe try making some noise, it'll feel good.
1: Mm. Maybe try making some noise and you have to tickle it out of them and say, Hey, it's fine. This is part of it. And there's a powerful connection between our ability to vocalize and to open the throat and the airway and for our cervix to open and dilate. And and I think if we more fully understood that, we would feel great hesitation and reservation at ever critiquing a noise that came out of a laboring person's body. Yeah. You know, they get to say and do pretty much whatever the hell they want because... Mm -hmm. That is what it takes to create such a profound release in both directions. Um, you can study the physiology of that and see how many connections there are between the the voice and the vagina, but there's also profound like metaphorical ones. And mm-hmm. I think this really speaks to that that the more untamed or uninhibited uh, we are in our vocalizing, the smoother, faster progressing labor can become. Yeah.
0: With my second birth, which was actually very beautiful um, in general, but there was this one moment I remember where um, I was feeling very above myself, like I kind of explained, but I remember that I was being very loud, um, and the midwife looked at me and told me to shut my mouth. Wow. She said I was sending all the power out my mouth and none of my power down to the baby. Wow. And what does my good girl brain automatically do when it's kind of, when someone, a woman looks in your face and she says, shut your mouth? And of course I'm showing off, like, oh, I'm doing this wrong.
1: And I'm guessing you also shut down your cervix at the same time.
0: No, I had a no. baby pretty soon after. Okay, but I was I'm pushing impressed. at that point.
1: Okay, my <laughs> cervix was, was already open. Out. There
0: was no coming back from this. <laughs> no, I was pushing when it, when this happened, and um, I had the baby pretty quickly afterwards because I just kind of shut down and I, mm. I pushed all my power downwards. Which there is something to say that if you're getting a little more high pitched and you're you're letting it all come out the top, that you're not sending any power down. But shut your mouth should never be something involved because if if you're yeah. exploring into the wild and someone says like oh something you could even construe <laughs> as criticizing the wildness you're displaying right you're going to shut it down right because you're used to shutting it down right yeah. that's a very normal thing that's what we're conditioned to do exactly and so even though i felt like i had a baby right after and it was fine like when i looked back after going a lot on my journey further becoming doula seeing a lot of births i looked back and it was like that was very empowering for me who i was at the time but i look back and there was Definitely things that were said in ways I was treated that were not ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, that helped me to know, like just looking back and learn to say, okay, I'm not, I'm never going to use those words. So I'm going to try and remind people in the environment that that's not, that's not appropriate. Like, don't, don't tell her to be quiet She can be as loud as she wants. Hmm. Um, so that's another, that's the one side is letting go of the wild that way. But to also realize that Bobby Yaga, she's very dirty and birth is dirty. Yeah. you are going to be sweaty and stinky. You're going to get hot. You're going to get cold. You're going to shake. Hmm. you're going to bleed. You're going to have mucus come out of you. Hmm. Your water's going to break. And um, all those things are going to happen. They're, they're bodily functions. And a lot of times women also, I remember my brother when we were growing up used to always say women didn't poop, that rainbows came out. Like, like it was just like, <laughs> yeah. and back, that was funny back then, but yeah. now I'm just like, man, how messed up that how, he how was told that, that women were so on this pedestal that they couldn't even have bodily functions. Wow, Like that was too gross to be in mm-hmm. association with a woman mm-hmm. for him.
1: And, and this, is, going, this is why storks deliver babies, too. Exactly. Yeah, we can't even think of such a thing.
0: And why menstruation is like a bad cuss right. Little boys don't want to say. Right. And girls, too. Yeah. Because that's a gross thing. And that's, of course, we can take this wild hag and we can pull it into connecting with our, our menstrual cycle and connecting with that side, that wild, beautiful, rhythmic part of our bodies that's been mm-hmm. so shushed and, and locked away. We can take it and we can relate it to orgasms where we're told they're also supposed to be quiet and 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 be the sexy woman that, that I'm
1: sorry but how is that possible how do you have a quiet orgasm <laughs> I don't know I would really like to know <laughs> I, Apparently
0: it's no I don't think you can fully envelop an orgasm if you're while while being quiet yeah. Maybe
1: some people can I don't want to bar that some women I mean we all women... had, like in-law sex right where you're at mm-hmm. the in-laws and your children are in the other room But usually I'm screaming in a pillow at least No, no me too Yeah
0: I am, and I don't think they can become expansive without yeah. me making noise Which is why marital sex becomes so hard because it's like, I don't want my kids to be like, are you dying?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm good. Everything's (laughs)
0: fine. (laughs) But I think for me, that was something I definitely had to step into and expand because I'll do... One of the things, and this is maybe TMI, so I'm sorry if you never come back and listen because <laughs> there's going to be some TMI up in here. But when I hit a really, really beautiful orgasm, I laugh. That's just something that oh, automatically bubbles absolutely. right out of just me. Just a
1: pure joy and elation. Mm-hmm. I, I'm often giggling. Yeah, yeah. no,
0: I will. I'll giggle or even full throat laugh mm-hmm. and just just laugh at the expansiveness. And I remember the first couple <laughs> times, my husband was like, "What? What? Why are you laughing?" <laughs> because, I felt like, because because I, I don't know. I laugh when I go over the edge of a roller coaster too. Yeah. Like I giggle because it's just this amazing feeling and it's, joy. it's joyful,
1: yeah. but
0: to have kind of those things where you don't associate them with, with sex or with birth and to have yeah. that shame connection. Right. And so that's part of the, the journey into connecting with yourself and your, your intuition is allowing that side to exist and not be a bad thing, and not be the ugly hag. I mean, ugly hag, it's a part of who we all are. We all have our ugly days. We all don't do well. We all get angry. We all sweat, bleed boogers. Like (laughs) We all have all the things, and to hide that part of our humanity or to make other people feel shameful around it, is dehumanizing because it's just part of being a human.
1: There are no bad parts. That's the name of a book written about internal family systems. So I think mm-hmm. it really speaks to what you're saying.
0: Yes. So allowing yourself in your birth preparation to connect with the wild hag. Um, I think some fun ways that you can do things like that is um, just try cackling. Have you ever done that?
1: Um, actually, yes. <laughs> My voice teacher has me do it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> can I share a little example Yes, please of that? do. Yeah. So she's been trying to teach me belting, you know, Mm -hmm. when you see that person up on stage and they can just belt that last note out for all they're worth, right? Mm -hmm. Well, every time I would would do it, she would say, okay, what I'm hearing is that you're trying really hard to make that sound pretty. Mm -hmm. And then by so doing, you're actually cutting off the potential of it. And I'd be like, well, what am I supposed to make it sound like? She's like, oh, belting is supposed to be ugly like it's the worst like I want you to conjure up just like the worst sound and that's what's going to allow you to project it so she would actually have me do this like witch cackle and it w- it was actually surprisingly hard um like emotionally hard for me to to produce these sounds mm-hmm. in front of her especially mm-hmm. I like as I'm a like, someone you respect I or, yeah, exactly. yeah yeah someone I respect and um And I, and we realized the more we talked about it, that it it was just some really deep conditioning that, yeah, I'm supposed to sound pretty when I sing, like Mm -hmm. that's deeply ingrained in me. And, and she's like, well, if you want to have like a soft, sweet voice, you certainly can. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if you want to be able to belt so that the person in the back of the room, you know, gets the chills when they hear you belting that note, it can't sound pretty. You have to use your, she even said, use your bitchy voice. And it really resonated with me. I thought, wow, this has like applications to every area of life. Like there, There is a time for our sweet, soft voice to sound, and to be really pretty and to be very feminine and all mm-hmm. of the things. That's a side of us. It shouldn't and go it away. It's a side of us, and that's not a bad part. But there is a time for developing the witch cackle, especially mm-hmm. if you want someone in the back of the room to hear your voice. And in birth, mm-hmm. I think that happens a lot where you're like, I have to advocate for myself at a time that I have never been more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to pull on parts of me that I've never had to pull before. I have to cackle so loud my baby in the cosmos hears me exactly and comes and comes down and and is finally finally out of my body. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I hadn't even thought about like calling to the baby, but that's beautiful. Yeah, it's a whole new metaphor to discuss. (laughs) Yeah, and and sometimes
0: animal sounds can help too. So things like horse sounds and um, growling.
1: Yeah.
0: And because I've seen women growl in the most beautiful, Mm. majestic ways during birth and afterwards be like, oh, I was making weird noises. I'm like, it was awesome. And it got your baby here. (laughs) It was your you're coping and you did it it was awesome. I remember this one first time mom who had, um, she had not prepared herself as well as I'd been hoping, but she was also just very self-confident. And, um, she just had this air about her of like, it's fine. Like she wasn't very, and not very self-conscious. You know what I mean? Like, she's just like, Oh, I'll just, I'll do this. And so I was like, well, oh, we'll see how this goes. Cause usually preparation, especially first time moms is essential. Um, but she got into it and it was a quicker birth, but she was grunting and she was growling and she was tearing at the bed with her fingers and she bit the pillow and she was just so amazingly in the zone and just allowed herself to just do it. Hmm. And it was so cool to watch. And her husband after was like, that was intense. <laughs> she was like a wild animal. Mm-hmm. I was like, yes,
1: absolutely. She was like
0: an amazing, beautiful, wild animal. And that's how she got her baby out. Yeah. He was like, "How's was cool. And afterwards she was like, I did that. And like, I was growling a lot. And I was like, yeah. you were. Yeah, And it's cool to see because I, my first birth, I was like, a little bit opposite of like the nice girl. I feel as though the cage I put myself in was more of like the tough, I'm tough.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
0: I'm tough and intelligent. Those are two of my my ideals that I cling to and, right. and have a hard time being someone who is beginning at things, um, someone who is unexperienced. You're or... always
1: supposed to be adequately prepared mm-hmm. and know all the answers and yes. be prepared to lead. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's
0: kind of the, the, the place I've put myself a little bit. So birth for me is like, can I put that aside and be ready to learn and be ready to not know what's coming and to not be fully prepared and not be fully prepared yeah. no matter how much I tried. Before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I
1: bet that was
0: a pretty <laughs> yep. raw deal for you. yeah <laughs> Yes. That's like, that took me until my second birth and even my third to, to kind of take that apart and realize what it was that was holding me back in those ways. Mm. So that's, that's facing the wild hag. And I think that that for me, when I read this book was just a huge beautiful way to express that there is this inherent wildness there that is in our bodies. Our bodies know how to birth and it is part of our mammalian brain. It's part of that, that biological function, but it is the wild side of us, right? It's the, mm. the animal side of our brain. And that if we try and stay in the good girl logic, what your eyes can see side of your brain, we're never going to truly fully enter it and we're going to be in our own way. And we're going to make it harder for ourselves because we're unable to unleash the beast. Moving on to the next one is called serving the non-rational. And that's kind of similar to, um, to the points that we're at. We'll, we'll get through these last ones because um, they all could be their own topics. So we won't dig in as much because the, the Baba Yaga was where I really wanted to be today. Yeah. Um, but to, to kind of smooth us down. So se- serving the non-rational means knowing that there is unexplainable. Knowing that there are things we are going to be asked of us that may not make sense in the moment. Knowing that our intuition may lead us to places that we were not planning. Um, and trusting that that can lead to good. That that can, we'll be given solutions in the moment to trust that um, not everything can make sense.
1: And there is good in things that may not make sense. At the time. So was this typified in the myth by the task, like gathering up the poppy seeds and things? Just like, why am I doing this thing? It's yes. pointless. Why, mm-hmm. why, why? Okay. Yeah.
0: And in the story, it goes a little bit deeper in like the full version of the story, but the example of the poppies and the dust is supposed to be um, knowing medicine from... A non like a thing, mm. unhealthy the healthy from the unhealthy. Okay. Oh no, that's the corn. The corn and the rotted corn. Okay. Is like food nutrition and the things that are good for the body, not good for the body. And she just
1: learns that through the process. Yeah, and that's
0: this was to represent her okay. learning, her learning how to take care of her nutrition, her learning mm. the wild woman's medicine like earth medicine okay. or healing medicines, and her learning. So each of them, it looks like this ridiculous task, but they all represent kind of fields of knowledge that women, and back in Russia, of course, in that time, kind of the women's knowledge, the the passed on wise woman knowledge that that used to be part of the society because they, and Baba Yaga was kind of the matriarch where it seems in the story and a lot of the Christian, when it was retold through like Christian mouths, Baba Yaga became this horrible person, just representing the devil. Mm. Where really in the story, she's mother nature. And she's Mm. trying to teach us lessons through each of these. Oh,
1: that's cool. Yeah. I like that. Me too. I like that version a lot better. Me too. She's (laughs) she's mother
0: nature in these seemingly impossible, ridiculous tasks where there's times in my life where I've been like, why am I going through this? This is dumb. I don't want to. But often at the end or later, I will look back and say, ah, that was, that was actually exactly what I needed that put my foot on this path that helped me to face that demon or that was actually very useful for me. And I needed that. And so Baba Yaga in the story, while she sounds really vicious, um, actually is in the Russian side. She's painted as this this matriarch, mm. this really harsh, wild matriarch, mm-hmm. but matriarch nonetheless.
1: And interesting that each of those tasks really is a process of monotony, and just kind of sifting through the mundane of life. And and I think that that there is a huge aspect of that to birth that mm-hmm. even just the rep the repetitive process of contracting and releasing, contracting and releasing is such a monotony that, um, really to me typifies that it is a trans transformative path. Like whenever there is that kind of (laughs) steady, predictable rhythm to something, to me, I've learned to be like, okay, I'm going to perk up because there must be something to learn from this monotony as typified in these myths that we see over and over again. Mm Um, so what, What's the potential there? What can we learn from the monotony of contractions?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I mean, we're here nerding out about the monotony of contractions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> it's turned into a whole, our whole, we have built our lives around the passion of, of understanding and and being a part of and yeah. learning from that experience.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, the nest is separating, it's called separating this from that. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> I, I know. love it. Me tell, too. Me, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> separating this from that is um, picking apart kind of what, what is my intuition versus what is this outside voice that I have learned to listen to. What is good? What is bad? What is, and we, through our lives, start to learn to define if we really take the time to be introspective, to actually be, kind of raise ourselves above all these these expected things and to say, okay, what is right for me and what is not? What is right in this moment and what is not? And, um, kind of that discernment, I think is the Mm. word that I'm trying to look for here is that having that, that discerning eye, which is not a physical eye. That is the intuition, the eye of the intuition where we can discern one thing from another. We can see if, okay, there is this person or this thing is potentially good for me. I think it's good and discerning our, our path or discerning what's, what's happening.
1: What if we could think of it like night vision, because this comes after, remember, Wandering mm-hmm. in the darkness and navigating the darkness. And then interesting that discernment comes from that. Yes. And I, I, I think we've all had that experience where you've been grappling in the dark for a while, but then after a minute, your eyes adjust and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the doorway and and there are the stairs. Yes. And now I can separate this from that. And you're navigating in mm-hmm. the dark by this like new um, sense <laughs> that you've
0: developed. Yes, exactly. And that's also in the story. Um, a lot of her tasks were separating things. So learning to separate out um, the friends that maybe are heading in the way you want to go and the friends that are negative mm. for you in your life. Separating um, the sources that you go to to learn, or the, maybe and even just things like Instagram. Like, is this, is this place I'm inhabiting? Is it something that's actually, is it something I want to continue to keep in my life? Or is it something I want to weed out? Do I is, want to separate it?
1: Is this provider actually hearing me and listening? Or is he not? Like mm-hmm. learning to discern how you feel in the presence of other people and mm-hmm. when you actually are being listened to.
0: Yes. So if you're bl- if you're told your whole life, kind of like, Oh, you go to the OB and they tell you what to do and you get an epidural and you have a baby. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Just, just go. Yeah. That's what my mom did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start, as you start to go down this path, right? You, you start facing the dark, you're, you're pregnant and you've, you're starting to go through these things and you gain more information and you slowly, like, this is the act of separating this from that is that the more you learn that the the wider your view becomes, hmm. and even though it may feel dark sometimes, that you you slowly see, oh, no, that's not that's not the way I'm gonna go. I love that. Um, next is asking the mysteries. So in the story, she asks her doll. Right, she asks. In a lot of places, this the, the universe or any sort of this brings spirituality back into it. That you have this openness to relying on a loving outside source of help, of energy, of love, of guidance, and, um, not to be connected with like the inner voice that's, um, that is, that is negative or that is trying to pull us down, but connecting with, with the love there is around us, um, asking the mysteries, standing on all fours, um, I love this. And the story, standing in all fours, is also when she's doing the task, she's often there on the ground and she is kneeling and she's on all fours while she's doing it. And that is a little bit of trying to say, we're embracing the wolf kind of in us action.
1: I was just going to say, she didn't say kneeling on all fours, she says standing on all fours. And that does bring it into the, the mammalian context, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. wolves don't kneel nope. on all fours, they, they do stand not. though. Mm-hmm. Humans kneel on all fours, right? Yes. I love that. I didn't even catch that the first time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a cool detail. The story that she's they say stand on all fours, and that's to kind of yeah. remind that wildness that like just being firmly planted with all of our with all of our extremities, with arms and legs, being firmly planted in place, and having that groundedness. Mm. That's also and we're we're fully connected with the ground, and I love in birth. I love when women are either standing and leaning on the bed, or they're on hands and knees. And they're moving rhythmically and they're making the sounds they need to sound. And it's such a powerful place to be in labor. And it can feel very vulnerable for a lot of women. Mm. But it can also feel very powerful. It can be a powerful place to be. And
1: perhaps it's powerful because of the vulnerability. Mm
0: -hmm. And a lot of times it may feel too vulnerable to stay in emotionally. Mm -hmm. Like my my butt's kind of in the air.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) And um, I'm having to trust a little more in the people I've chosen because I can't Mm -hmm. see what's happening down there. Whereas in other positions I still feel more in control. Right. Out of fours can go find out of control because you're exposing your back end of the world. Mm. Um, so standing on all fours. And but I also
1: think maybe they're like ready to run too.
0: Like yeah, when yes. you're like,
1: because a wolf might lay down or sit on their haunches a little bit. But an, a wolf on all fours is like at any moment, I yeah. could just spring to action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've
0: got kind of like that, not predatory, but like that,
1: Pounce? that, is that wild, a good word? alive mm-hmm. alertness. Uh huh. Exactly. Yes. Exactly.
0: I love that. Um, and the last is called Recasting the Shadow, and that is um, the end of the story where she goes back um, to her home and reclaims it. Mm. She she fully... Uh,
1: well, she burns them down. Yes, and then... that's what I'm saying. She reclaimed her <laughs> okay. home.
0: There, she, there had been things in her home that sent her on this journey. She
1: had to get rid of the demons that haunted yes. her.
0: Yes. Yeah. She had to get rid of that negative voice, the things that were holding Oof. her back and trying yes. to kill her, right? Yes. Because that is a death, a slow death, if we allow ourselves to be caged fully. If we allow ourselves to be completely, I'm just going to pretend like this is fine. I'm going to pretend like whatever this is, that's actually hurting my soul is okay. And we do that. We do that. We allow things that we know somewhere are not okay. And we just say, no, 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 they're fine. I can do this. This is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It'll be fine. And going back into our home, once we've kind of been through the journey. And for me, that was kind of like my second birth as I felt like I walked away from it. and was just like, I can't unsee that. Yeah. I've been through this journey and I'm different.
1: Wow. And
0: there are things in my life that are not okay anymore.
1: Right.
0: And I think that for women who are going through kind of this awakening of the wildness transformation, that's definitely a part of it is the more you go through it, and it's kind of cyclical. I think you do this over and over as you meet new, you meet new spaces of yourself. But every time you emerge on the other end saying, this is not okay. Or this is how I'm going to change. And this is... I hope everybody's on board because this is happening mm-hmm. now.
1: And the, this sounds a lot like postpartum to me. Um, when you think about the childbearing year, what if like the body that we start with, the non-pregnant us, is this young girl who's just inherited the doll. She's not, she hasn't even embarked on her journey yet, right? But then mm-hmm. through that process of conception and, and the months of pregnancy and then the delivery... Um, eventually that journey does bring us back to the non-pregnant body, but is it the same? (laughs) No. No. And the home is not the same that she left from to the home that she returns to. And when she does return, does she expect it to be the same? No. In fact, she's like, there's going to be some changes now. I don't want it to be the same. The first thing that has to go is, uh, is the evil stepmother, whoever it was. Right. Yes. And they're burned down and then she reclaims it. And like, to me, that was my postpartum journey each time it, it <laughs> I think maybe the process was different, but it was certainly the same process every time of like, okay, this is my new body. How do I reclaim this? How do I move forward with this as my home?
0: Yes. I love that. I love the body as the symbolism of reclaiming because that's another thing we could go through the whole list with Mm -hmm. of the looking put together and skinny and beautiful. And then postpartum looking at that saggy belly, the first day postpartum.
1: Yeah. Or the engorged um, breasts, the the white breasts, stretch
0: marks, all the sweaty scars. I I was so sweaty all the time when I was postpartum and I stunk so bad. I learned later that's like that's pheromones. You learn things. And it's like, oh, my sweat had a purpose. It was so my mm-hmm. baby would be motivated to feed and know where I am. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was supposed I had to, to put stink. out a
1: smell beacon
0: so I did. that my child would live. <laughs> it's pheromonal. I love it. Um, and to not say like I had my midwife in Germany. It was so cute. I had a little Polish midwife after my first, and I remember I came over and I had. I had clothes on, my hair done, I had a bra on, mm-hmm. and I put deodorant on. And she was just like, No, 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 no. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, she can't say It was like, Take t- your bra <laughs> off. You're know, this. Is, what are you wearing? Put on a loose cotton shirt. Oh, Why are you wearing pants with a button? You wear something comfortable right now. <laughs> and she's like, You don't stink. Why don't you stink? Like, she just came in and was that just like, This little fantastic. tisk, tisk. <laughs> that was
1: like the best thing <laughs> I've ever heard. She's like, You are way too put together, woman. Mm-hmm. Take off the makeup, take off the clothes. Yep. Oh my God. I
0: loved it. Like, and for me, it was like, Oh, oh,
1: thank you. I think I needed I think someone I need to, to that talk to you, that. I
0: thought, and after that, I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to. Mm-hmm. I'm postpartum. I'm supposed to be dirty and not wearing a bra. It's okay, like, normal that I feel this way, that it's different, and that I can expect people to, to accept me like this. Wow. And that was really cool after my first baby to have kind of the German, that, that German more accepted. Like, they was more of a cave. But when you did come in, they did not expect you to be put together.
1: Okay.
0: So I thought that was really beautiful that she did that for me, and that's something that we need to learn to do for ourselves. And I am so thankful for this Baba Yaga journey. I think that it can be so connected to so many different parts of our story. And I would invite you to go read that book. Please, please do. And thank you for joining in with us this week. We loved having you. Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness, knowing we will find light.